0: Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church at Peterborough, Ontario, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. In today's episode, Pastor Nathan returns from his sabbatical as he embarks on a brand new series called Crabs in a Bucket. We live in a world where everyone is longing to make it to the top but what would it look like to take a different approach? What would happen if we really embraced the way of Jesus in our homes and communities? With that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nathan and his series, Crabs in a Bucket. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Nathan. Nice to meet you. If if you are new around here, then you may not recognize my face, but uh, for the past nearly 11 years, I've had the Incredible privilege and honor of being the lead pastor and founding pastor of this church. And uh, over the past three months, as you've already heard, I was uh, on a sabbatical, which is, comes out of the word Sabbath, which means rest. And so there were a couple of objectives for this 12-week sort of season for me, away from leadership, away from decisions, away from preaching, uh, the first of which was to get rest, rest for my body, my soul, my family, all of that. Uh, but also to, um, to reconnect with God and to read and to study and to do all kinds of wonderful things, uh, through that time. Uh, perhaps some of you are going 12 weeks without going to work. That's a lot of Netflix. I assure you it wasn't. Uh, to give you an idea of how my time was spent over these 12 weeks, uh, most mornings I would get up, have a healthy breakfast, and when, the, you know, when the weather was great, I would sit on the deck. If not, I'd be in the house. And I would spend my mornings reading the Bible, reading great books journaling, praying, going for walks with my dog, uh, really just having heart time and spiritual time. And then in the afternoons, I could... Spend time with my kids and go out for a swim or do some hobbies and things like that. So it was really, really a great season. As the the 12 weeks progressed towards the end, I started meeting with other pastors and talking to them. Started working on plans for the future of our church and thinking through when I returned to my job, how do we make our church stronger? How do we make our staff healthier? How How do we enter into whatever's next in a healthy way? So this was sort of what was happening for me over the last 12 weeks. And I wanted to just start today by saying thank you. I wanted to thank our leadership teams at the church, our elders, our board of directors, and our staff teams. Those three teams uh, had to step up in my absence, make decisions. They all encouraged me to take this time to rest, and uh, I am so grateful for everyone uh, that made it possible for me to do so. I also wanted to thank our church family because, of course, uh, I felt so much support, you know... um, as I, as I went on this sabbatical process, you know, there might have been, I don't know, maybe there were people in our church that thought, really? He's taking 12 weeks off. He only works one hour a week anyways. Uh, what's up with that? Uh, that wasn't the sense at all. Um, all I felt was support and love from our congregation. And so as I talked to some of you guys, it was just like, how was your rest? We're so glad you got to do this. And so I really felt so much and I wanted to say thank you to all of you. So thank you. Um, I wanted to share a couple things that I kind of took away from my time. Um, and then, and then I'll jump into my, my message for today. The first thing was this, um, being able to read and study the Bible. Now, of course you're thinking he's a pastor. He reads and studies the Bible. Yeah, I do. Um, over the past nearly 11 years, I've probably written and preached somewhere near 450 sermons. So that's a lot of verses. There's a lot of talking. It's a lot of visions, a lot of trying to create content to help other people. Uh, and for 12 weeks, I didn't write any sermons. I read the Bible for me. And I know that seems crazy because we're all supposed to read the Bible for us. But as a pastor, sometimes you're reading the Bible for you and you're like, ooh, that's a good sermon. And you start you constantly getting pulled off course. And so for me to read the Bible, and what I would do is I literally just sit, I just open up, and I was reading through different books of the Bible, and I would just read. I'd read page, 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 and then all of a sudden something would jump off the page and I'd open my journal and I'd just write. I got journals full of stuff that you'll never hear because it was for me. And I was just filling my own soul and just recharging. It was so wonderful. It was a great reminder to me that uh, I, still love, I still love the Lord. I still love this book. And uh, it was amazing. So that was the first thing. The second thing was it was an opportunity for me to renew my call as a pastor. And I, I actually made a little slide about inspiration here. If you throw that up for me. Inspiration. This is where most of us start. And it's very easy for us if we're not careful to slide into obligation. So. Last weekend, my first duty back as pastor was to officiate at a wedding. And there was a young couple from our church getting married. It was amazing. There was so much love in the air. I mean, this is cool, right? So you guys know when a young couple gets married, it's all inspiration. I love you, baby. No, I love you. No, I love you more. No, I love you more to to the power of two. And it's just like, okay, 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 we get it inspiration, right? And, and you know, the young, uh, she's just like, oh man, you know, I've been waiting so long and you know, tomorrow I'll be able to wake up and you'll be in my bed and, and you'll be there. It's like, oh, inspiration. 10 years later, you wake up and are like, he's still here, right? Because what happens is this, this thing, when you start, you're just like, oh, I get, I get to be with you. Oh, I get to do this job. Oh, I get to be a parent. And what happens is over time, if we're not careful, what begins as inspiration, what begins with our hearts filled with love, creeps over into obligation. So instead of get to, it's I have to. I have to feed these bratty kids. I have to do this job. Again, I've done it a hundred times. Well, ten years ago, you were thrilled to have that job, but now you loathe your job. What happened? Something changed in you. And, and of course, we see this happening in all of us, in our marriages, in our families, in our work, in every area of our life. We start here. Oh, this is the best. And we move towards this. So for me, the last three weeks or last three months was an opportunity for me to go, hey, why?" there's a lot of weight that comes with being a pastor. But why, why do I carry that weight? Why do I lead? Why do I make sacrifices? like, oh, yeah, because... God called me to do it, and, and, I, and I love it. It's the best job in the world for me. And so all of a sudden, I, for three months, I'm making steps in this direction. In year one, um, myself and some of our core team who are still here who helped to launch this church, I mean, we showed up at 6.30 in the morning to set up all the chairs and speakers, and then we preached, and then we had our meetings, and we started small groups, and we all did it after doing our full-time jobs, and we were just like all in, and it was all inspiration. We are going to start a church it's going to reach people far from God. We're going to just like change our community. And there's going to be kids that come to faith. And we're just like inspiration, inspiration. Ten years later, there were Sundays, you know, where I get up and I'm like, not I get to preach, but I have to preach. You see the difference. There's something changes in your heart. So for me, this, this was something that the sabbatical afforded me to take steps. What I want to do today is encourage all of us to take steps from this back towards this and we'll get more into that in a little bit so today i want to i want to start uh, well it's going to be at least a two-week message it was started out as one in standalone sermon now it might be two or three but i want to begin by sharing with you a really kind of obscure text and when i read it to you when we read it together you're all going to think really he's preaching on that verse and the history of this is that i was sitting on my deck a couple of months ago and i was reading this verse and have you ever read something or thought about something and all of a sudden like Fireworks start going off in your brain and all these connections land and you see something in a totally different So I want to try to share what I was experiencing and kind of explain it to you So if you'll just bear with me, okay If you're watching online, don't just tune out when I read this verse Uh, just just hang with me. Okay, so here's here's the passage. It's found in proverbs 12 verse 4 It says a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband Can we all say it together a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband? Okay do we have any virtuous women in the room? Come on, that's an opportunity for some men, some kids, some, some friends. to be like, yeah, I got one right over here, okay? A virtuous woman, a wise, caring, loving, faith-filled woman is a crown to her. As I'm reading this, like in real time, it's all going on in my head. I'm thinking, is, is he saying that a woman is a feather in a man's cap? Is he saying that she's the jewel on his forehead? That, that well, look at this girl, she's mine, my possession. I'm like, no, nah, he can't be saying that. And then, of course, I read the the next verse, and here's what the rest of it says. It says, but she that makes ashamed, okay, a scornful, vindictive, uh, you know, terrible, in this case talking about a wife, is as rottenness in his bones. And as I'm reading this, it dawned on me, he's not talking about how to be a good wife. Wouldn't that be a great sermon title for that? How to be a good wife? Yeah, that's about what I expected as a response. It just went quiet, right? Yeah. This guy is not qualified to talk about that subject, all right? But as I've read this, I'm like, this actually isn't about marriage. This is about a principle that is so, so important. What he's actually talking about, if we go to the next slide, is the power of relationship. That's what this verse is all about. The power of relationship. Now, when I say the word power, when I say that person has a lot of power, what comes to mind for you? Well, for me, I think about things over here, like physical power, financial power, political power, and there's others, Right? When my wife says, hey, Nathan, can you help me lift this? I'm like, oh, you need, my, you need some of my power? And she just kind of goes, no, just pick that up and take it away, right? So physical power, I think about electrical power. Think about horsepower, right? You get a boat, you want lots of what? Power. You want horsepower. You want a V8? You want two V8s. Power. That's what we think about. We think about physical power, might, armies, all that kind of stuff. How about financial power? That's the thing. You think, oh, that's not really a thing until you try to buy something. And you can't because you don't have the financial power or political power, which has to deal with words and and, and moving groups of people and all those kinds of things. So when we think of power, we think about all of these things. Now, what's fascinating about this verse, it was written 3,000 years ago by a man. By a man, we believe it's King Solomon, who had 700 wives, who had more riches and treasure than you could imagine. 3,000 years ago, a man, and let's be honest, 3,000 years ago, most of this belonged to the men in the society. Can we agree on that? Okay, like, it wasn't like today where women have, you know, the ability to vote and to work and to pursue education and everything, equality for both genders. It was like, no, the women didn't have this. The men had all this. And this is what's so powerful about this verse is that Solomon, who's a man, who's wealthy, who has all the power, who is living in that time, he's looking at a husband and wife, maybe in the community, and he looks at it. Let's look at the verse one more time. Can we put, throw it back up here? And he's, here's what Solomon says in this context. A virtuous, a godly woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. So he's saying, in spite of the fact, because I think we could all argue that a woman in that setting 3,000 years ago had... We would say no power. And he says, actually, no. That woman, even in that setting, has the power to make or break her husband. Think about that. She has the power to crown him, to make him more than he was, or to make him wish he never lived. She has that power, and here's why. Because the power of relationship is greater than all these other powers. And that's what I want us to consider this Sunday and next. That the power... Of relationship And what's relationship is connection between people. And the power of relationship is actually more powerful than all these other powers. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is because if you have this, you can get to this. But if you have this, you can't necessarily get here. So let me give you an example, right? My wife, she doesn't have to be physically strong. She has me. Hey, honey, I got this jar of spaghetti sauce. I can't open. I'm like, I am your man. Like, call me and I got it, right? So if she has this, then she gets this. She needs money. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't have any of that. Power of relationship is greater than... So the other reason why... So here's the thing. You You can't take this and turn it into this. So, for example, you walk up to somebody and say, be my friend or I'll knock your head off. And intimidate them with your physical strength. They're going to be like, okay. And they're going to walk away going, this is weird. I'm scared of you. So this doesn't work this way, but this works this way. Here's the second reason. This power of relationship is eternal because people are eternal. And what you do in relationship matters and echoes into eternity where all this stuff leaves when you do. When your life is over, this is gone. This is eternal. How you treat people. What you do to care for people, love people, share your faith with people. These things matter for eternity. This stuff is all temporary. I don't care how strong you are. When you turn 80, you're not as strong as you were. Your muscles deteriorate. Kingdoms rise and fall. The Roman Empire, over a thousand years strong. Where is it now? right? You go back through history. Empires rise and fall. Physical power is temporary. It One day it'll be gone. Financial power. I don't care. Listen, I would love for every person that's part of our church community to do well financially. Pay off your debt, have savings for the future, you know, an emergency fund, investing in good things so that you can be generous and not stressed and you can help people when they're in need. So I want that for you. But understand that, it doesn't matter how much you accumulate when you leave this earth. It all stays here. You, you track it with me. It, it is temporary. Just understand that. Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were camping in Prince Edward County with our, with our kids and we drove by an antique store. Now, let me tell you, I never go into antique stores, but this one we had to stop and we had to go in. I got a picture of my wife and my two daughters here in front of the sign. It was called dead people stuff antiques. And I love that when I saw it, I'm like, we have to stop. And I even went in because they had a mantiques section. And I'm like, I have to see what's in there. Dead people stuff. That, that is an honest sign. Because no matter how much stuff you have, no matter how shiny it is, when you leave this earth, it stays behind. It rots. It rusts. So, that's all great. And go back to uh, my slide. Financial power is great. But it's temporary. This is eternal. Political power. Guys, one day, the conservative party, the liberal party, the NDP if you're into American politics, the Democrats, the Republicans, it'll all be gone. It will exist no more. But how you treat people and the investments you make in others and in the kingdom will last forever. So this is greater than this. Okay? Now I want to look at the verse one last time and then we're going to look at the words of Jesus. Let's look at it again. A virtuous woman. Can we all say it together? I'd like to hear your voices. I know you guys have been watching online, but I need the interaction here. So a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Let me ask you a question. Who wears a crown? Shout it out. I heard a woman. Yeah, a woman can wear a king is a good answer. Anybody else who wears a crown? like officially. We're not talking about Burger King. It's the paper kind. Who else wears a crown? A queen? A prince? A prince? So royalty, right? Royalty wears crowns. Here's the beautiful thing. As I read this, so again, we're still in my brain. We're still in a split second, okay? All this is kind of happening in my mind as I'm sitting on my deck. A virtuous woman is a crown. And I thought, who wears a crown? A king wears a crown. I'm like, wow, a virtuous woman, a godly woman has the power within herself even 3,000 years ago to make her husband a king. And then I wrote down in my journal, king maker. And I didn't even know that that was a thing until I grabbed my phone and I, I Googled it. And there's a Wikipedia page explaining what a kingmaker is, and then it's, it's in various dictionaries. So let me tell you what a kingmaker is. Okay, next slide. A virtuous woman is a kingmaker, and here's the definition of what a kingmaker is. A kingmaker is someone who works behind the scenes, uses their power, their influence, their authority, their resources to promote or elevate someone else. And when I read that definition, and I was looking at this passage, which again is not about marriage, it's about the power relationship, and as I read it, I thought, that's what I want to be. I want to be a kingmaker. I don't want to be king. Kings rise and fall. I want to be the person that helps others get to a place of influence. I want to be a person who helps other people get to the place where they're using their gifts and abilities in the best way. I want to be the person behind the scenes who's helping other people. And I thought, wow. And then I began to think about Jesus, right? Because we're Christians. We follow Jesus. And when I thought about Jesus, I thought Jesus is the ultimate kingmaker. Right, He was king, he is king, but he stepped off his throne, he stepped out of heaven and came to earth as a man and washed his disciples' feet, and picked up children and loved on them, and touched the dirty and the unclean and healed them, and he left all of his privilege to come down to lift us up. Next Sunday, because we can't get into all of it, next Sunday we're going to learn about who we are in Christ. And you don't want to miss this because I think so many of the problems that we wrestle with as Christians and some of the stuff we keep getting in recurring messes is because we don't understand who we are. We think that Jesus just came to save us from our sins and give us a ticket to heaven, but we don't realize that he has raised us up with him to be something altogether different because he's the ultimate kingmaker. He didn't, he didn't raise us up out of sin to be servants Yes, master, he raises up to be sons and daughters of the king, princes, princesses. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. He's the ultimate kingmaker, okay? So, so let's look at the words of Jesus. Here's how he said it to his disciples. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 9, if you can throw that up for me. Mark 9, it says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? So they're all walking, Jesus and his disciples, and he sees them having some heated discussion, and they finally get where they're going, and he says, What was that all about? And as a parent, I've done this many times with 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 our kids, I've been like, what was that all about? And they're like, oh nothing. And you know if they say it was nothing, it was something. Next verse. They kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now this is this is normal for humans, right? How do I stack up to that person? I wanna I wanna climb the ladder. I, I want upward mobility is like the thing. It's like how do I get where I how do I my best self now? How do I, you know? When we were kids, we used to play a game on the schoolyard called King of the Hill. anybody ever play that? We'd go out in the winter, and there'd be a big snowbank, and you know, it was was usually the boys. The boys played the King of the Hill game, where we would literally throw each other off the hill, trying to be the guy on the top. I think the girls did it with words. It was like, "Oh, that's such a nice shirt." "Oh, this, this is just Ralph Lauren. It's nothing." You know, they had their own King of the Hill game, but the guys, we were doing it all physical. And you tried to get to the top by throwing everyone off. And then when you got there, you're kicking and biting and tossing. And then it only ended when the bell rang or someone got hurt. And likewise, you know, as adults, we still play King of the Hill. We're just playing it in our workplace. Hopefully not playing it in our homes with our siblings, with our our spouse, (laughs) right? But we're playing this game of King of the Hill. It's like, how do I get the most advantage? How do I get to the top? And Jesus is going to tell his disciples, guys, this is not the way things go in my kingdom. The kingdom of of Jesus is not about upward mobility. It's actually downward mobility. (laughs) That's a thing. Going down to lift others up. And so he continues with this. He says, he sat down and he called the 12. Come here, boys. Sit down. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, I'm sure you've heard this before, he must be last of all and servant of all, Jesus is like. If you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you need to be last place and servant of everybody else. Now, when when you or I hear that, it, it sounds like such a radical notion. But I want to show you and demonstrate that it's actually extremely extremely logical. Um, years ago, I got to go down to Haiti and I met Tony Jones, who I see is right over there. Tony, give a wave so everyone in the room can see you. If you guys haven't met Tony, I encourage you to chat with him outside after church. Um, Tony's a missionary to Haiti. Please, please be praying for his wife, Edna, who's still stuck in Haiti. And so he and his boys have been here for, what, 18, 20 months, whatever it's been, just praying and trying to get her to be here with her family. So, that, I mean, that's please be praying for them. I remember Tony was showing me around Haiti, and he was driving around, and uh, I saw the beaches, the palm trees, and the, and the vistas out into the ocean. And I said to Tony, he's like, Why aren't there four-star resorts here? Like, people would pay thousands of dollars to come and enjoy these beautiful beaches. We went up into the mountains and we get these lush, beautiful mountain views. There's there's like all this rich agricultural land where you can grow all this produce. And I'm like, why is this country such a mess? Why is there so much poverty? And you know what he said to me? He said, Nate, the problem is here in their thinking and here in their heart. And he gave me an illustration that, you know, it, it resonated with me. He said, they're like, Their mentality is crabs in a bucket. I got a picture of crabs in a bucket, of course. Got to have a photo. All right? Now, you can put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and you don't even have to put a lid on. You know why? Because anytime one tries to get out, one starts to make progress like, yeah, I'm finally free. I can see daylight. It's like all the other crabs just grab them and suck them back in. And that's a mentality because everyone's like, I don't want that person to be ahead of me. So I'm going to pull them down. So we're all on the same level. And if you get a society that buys into this lie, okay, this lie right here, it's coming. There's about to be a lie that shows up on the screen. There it is. Lie for me to win. You must lose. For me to succeed. You must fail. And when people begin to believe that, that in order For me to win, i got to be king of the hill and i got to knock you down. If you get a whole bunch of people doing that, you will destroy your relationships, your family, and your country. It's a lie. What Jesus says actually makes way more sense. Think about this. Can you imagine if one of those crabs decided, hey, I'm going to recruit some friends. And we're going to go to the bottom of the pile and start pushing up. And helping our friends escape. And you can just imagine how easily a whole bunch of crabs working together, supporting one another, could be out of that bucket in a minute. And all that has to happen is a shift in their heart. And that's the shift that Jesus invites us to do. He says, hey, stop trying to be king. How about a vision for something else? A king maker. How about being a person, a man, a woman, a teenager who says, I want to leverage what I have for the good of others. I want to help my friends, my family, the people in my community to get a leg up, even if it costs me something. Because here's the amazing thing is, just because you're helping someone else win doesn't mean you lose You ever heard the term rising tide lifts all ships or boats, something like that. I remember, ah, geez, 15 years ago or something. I remember, um, they opened like a third Tim Hortons in Peterborough. And I thought to myself, this just won't work. There's already two, like who, if they open another Tim Hortons, they're going to take all the coffee drinkers from the other one and they're all going to fail. Well, now we have like 500 or whatever, right? They're everywhere. And the truth is, is that more Tim Hortons just means bigger, more people they can serve, means more people drink more coffee, and then they start offering sandwiches, right? So what you think is like, oh, if there's more, and we think that way too. Well, if there's three more churches open in Peterborough, our church will shrink and they'll take our people. It's like, no, they won't. If there are great churches and more of them, more people will come to Christ. More people will share their faith. Our community will be more impacted and everything gets better together. It's like, oh, it's a radical shift in thinking from, hey, we want to be king to how can we become kingmakers like our Lord? Is this helping anybody? He continues. Let's go back to the text. He continues and he says, he took a child. Imagine how nerve wracking this would have been, a seven year old boy. Hey, come here, little boy standing in the middle of these 12 or more men who are aspiring for greatness. And he's like, brings the little boy and he sits him on his lap and taking him in his arms, he said this to them. Whoever receives one such child. Now, we don't think about it. What does that mean, receives? Whoever receives a child. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is when you treat the child with honor and respect and dignity and care and compassion, like you treat me. So these men loved Jesus. They were like, Jesus, you need lunch? Jesus, you want to turn riding on the donkey? Your feet must be sore. Jesus, can we get you anything? Jesus, the crowds are here. We want to protect you. They just love Jesus, protected him, served him. And he's like, hey, if you would treat this little child who has no financial power, no physical power, no political power, nothing to give you, if you'll treat this child and receive him the way you receive me, in my name, and you, you receive me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is cool. This should inspire us to be kingmakers. Jesus literally says, when you treat someone who has nothing to offer you like a king, and you lift them up, and you use your power and influence to be a kingmaker, what you do to the least of these resounds in the highest halls of heaven. It goes right to the Father. That encourages me to be a kingmaker, right? To live like Christ did. To go down, to lift others up. Now, over the years... And this is where things get interesting. Over the years, I've tried to do this Kingmaker thing. And what I've found, uh, if we can go to the next slide. What I've found is that when I begin to serve others and love them like Jesus tells me to, right? Uh, It begins with inspiration. It's like, I want to serve our community. But over time, if we're not careful, it begins to move towards obligation. It starts to be like, well, now I have to serve these ungrateful. Am I the only person who's experienced this? So I want to be a kingmaker and I want it to flow out of inspiration, not obligation. But in over time, everything in me is pulling me in this direction. Okay. It begins with, I want to, I get to. And over time, if we're not careful, if we don't continue to do the hard work, it very quickly turns into have to. The next thing I would say about inspiration is that it's fueled by love. Right? Like I, when you want to do something, it's because there's passion and love in your heart. Okay. You want to. That's fueled by love. But obligation is fueled by duty. Now, i realize duty is not a bad word. Like, it's it's good to fulfill your duties. But you can't just do life, work, marriage, friendship out of duty alone for very long. Because you know what happens? It will produce resentment in your heart. It produces resentment. Anybody here ever done something for duty for 10 years? Yeah, we all have. And the longer you do it, the more of this grows in your heart. But on the other side, if we can move from obligation to inspiration, it can produce gratitude. That's a very different result. So one of the ways that you can know where you are on this spectrum of inspiration and obligation is what it's producing in your heart. Is that helpful? I know that's, that's extremely helpful for me to go, okay, I'm doing this thing. I want to be a kingmaker. I want to serve people and I'm doing it, but I'm resentful all the time. Why? Something shifted in my heart. So you always have an option. Option A Find a new job, find a new spouse, find new friends, you know, because all of this or something can begin to shift in your heart. And day by day, you can make tiny steps back in this direction towards your first love, towards gratitude. And, and this doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Here's, here's one other thing I want to tell you why this is so important. This is this, what we're talking about right here is the motive behind being a kingmaker or not, okay? it increases the power of relationship and obligation decreases. Let me explain. The more something's done because you want to do it out of love, out of gratitude, if you're serving other people, do you think they can feel that? Do you think if you're helping somebody, they can tell whether you're doing it because you love them and you're happy to do it or whether you're doing it because you have to, it's your job? Yeah, people can feel it. And what happens is this will increase the power of your relationship and this will kill it. Here's, a, here's an easy example. Let's say you want a pizza. It's 5.30 at night. You have kids, they're hungry. Friends, they're hungry. You order a pizza and you're waiting for the pizza delivery driver. But you've ordered the pizza and you're expecting it at 5.30 and they show up at 5.37. And the pizza's hot and the pizza's delicious but you're still mad because you paid for it. They were late and and, and now you've got your pizza. Now let's take the exact same scenario. 5.37... There's a knock on the door, you open it up and a friend from work or a friend from church is standing there with a hot pizza for you and your family. And you're like, what? What's, what's with the pizza? And they say, oh, I was thinking of you and, and I know there's stuff going on in your life and you probably didn't have a meal. And so I brought you a pizza. You're like, you didn't have to do that. I'm like, yeah, but I wanted to do that. Same scenario. Five thirty nine. The pizza's gone. <laughs> totally different internal workings that's going on in the heart this is how radically different our lives can be when there's a shift on the inside and as we you know i'm hoping to inspire us and our church to be kingmakers and to serve one another and to serve our community but i guarantee you we will move in this direction if we're not consciously careful to do heart work over and over again and next week we're going to continue um, the conversation in this direction I want to say a couple last thing uh, about kingmakers. And here's, here's a statement. Kingmakers find their success in others. Or you could say they find their success in others' success. That's where kingmakers find their joy. Here's a passage from Philippians where Paul the Apostle, he says this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for. Does that sound like duty to you? Everybody should shaking. No, no. It, that's not duty. That's love. My joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, when you succeed, I succeed. When you grow and love and serve one another, that's my crown. Because he was fully invested, not in power and politics and money, but he was fully invested in the power of relationship, the power of the gospel. And when he saw them becoming kingmakers, he's like, that's the crown I wear on my head. So Jesus has called us to live in this way. To be king makers. And you know as I came back from sabbatical. There's, there's lots of things that will, will change and shift in the months ahead. As we move forward. But as I came back I, I wanted to come back uh, with a clear sense of purpose. And when I read that passage okay. So I, that verse about a, 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 you know uh, a wife, a woman of character being a crown to her husband. I thought that's, that's what I want to be. I want to be king maker. I want our church to be a church of kingmakers. I, I want our community to feel lifted up because we're here. I want our neighbors and our friends and our you know. Kingmakers come in all shapes and sizes, you know. I see these little, little kids in our nursery and toddler program in the back, which is going to start up real soon. And when I see those little kids on the floor and a volunteer is down on their knees playing with them and their faces are beaming, it's because they're face-to-face with a kingmaker. When I see someone opening a door and smiling and encouraging people or praying for someone after church, I just see kingmakers, people who are just saying, I want to use whatever I have to lift you up. And it's it's beautiful. It's appealing. It's a vision for all of us to embrace. I want the culture of our church to be one where we look for opportunities to crown one another and lift one another up. So next week, again... I want to show you just how much Christ has done for you. Because if, if we don't talk about what we're going to talk about next week, I guarantee if you go out and try to be a kingmaker, not knowing what Christ has done for you, you will end up in resentment and you will end up in obligation. So next week is going to be the back half of this message. Um, I hope this has been helpful to you. I'm encouraged to be back. It's so great to see your faces. Um, hope to see those who are online some point in the near future as well. Uh, would you join me as we pray? Thank you. Father, um, thank you for the example we have in Christ Jesus who left everything and came to lift us up. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to embrace that spirit of servanthood, that spirit of encouragement and love that, that Christ displayed, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to love one another, to be king makers. That we wouldn't seek to wear a crown, but that we seek to place a crown on the heads of those we love. Father, if there's anyone in this room who has never received the gift of your son, if there's anyone watching online right now who has never received the gift of salvation, received the ultimate kingmaker, I pray that they would do so today without delay. Thank you for helping us and empowering us and, and bring us back again next week to continue our conversation about learning what you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Nathan, for that amazing message. And thank you for listening. Be sure to keep up with us on all of our socials. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time.